Our second scripture reading today comes to us from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I become an adult, I will put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. And the greatest of these is love. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Friends, last Sunday we began our summer sermon series about heroes of the Bible. About a month and a half ago, I I sat down, I went on retreat, and I plotted out the entire summer's worth of sermons and picked out different heroes and what they encapsulated and, and how we can emulate that. And then planned out what Sundays would be best for these sermons And I I thought of Nathan and his speaking the truth to David. And I thought, when's the best week to talk about truth-telling? Right before I'm going out of town for two weeks. That's the the best time to to get that. That way I can avoid any truth-telling that might come my way and then skip town. And I plan on talking about how Nathan speaks the truth to David. If you remember, David was king over Israel. And he saw his neighbor's wife, Bathsheba, bathing, and he fell in love or in lust with her. He plotted to have his, her husband killed and married her. And Nathan saw that this was a sin, even when David overlooked it. 
and he called David out for it. And I talked about how talking uh, we need to be able to speak the truth, that heroes speak the truth, even when it's dangerous. For Nathan, he could have easily been put to death. David could have become angry and had him executed. We need to speak the truth when it's painful, when it's going to hurt somebody we care about and it's something they need to hear. But we also need to speak the truth in love. We need to not lash out of, out of anger or out of wanting to hurt the other person, but instead when we want to help with it, that person. So that's today's sermon in a nutshell, or it was going to be. You know, I often see, talk to friends who are clergy colleagues, and I get very jealous when on Tuesday or Wednesday they're like, oh, got my sermon finished for the week. And sometimes they ask, Chris, when do you finish your sermon? And I always give the same answer after I say the final word. Once I'm done giving my sermon, that's when the sermon is complete, because it's at that point that I can no longer change it. It's not uncommon to be making small changes on Sunday morning to to be scribbling out words, to to be inserting a, a story I might have heard the night before. But it's built over the week. That's why weeks like this week are terrifying, when I don't just change a little bit of the sermon on Saturday night or Sunday morning, but I crumple the whole thing up and throw it away and start brand new. It's scary. Because often it's something that, that might rub people the wrong way. Sometimes it's, I'm not as prepared as I usually am. I haven't spent the time practicing it, rehearsing it. That's why I'm up here instead of walking today, because I'm too dependent on my uh, 19 pages of notes. I, I'm joking. It's, it's three. But then I believe it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said that you need to preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in another. And every once in a while, something out of the news will grab me, and I feel like it's something that I must bring into the pulpit with me. And this past week, Kate Moss and Anthony Bourdain both took their own lives. What's that? Kate Spade. All right, if you're a big Kate Moss fan, I'm sorry. As far as I know, she is alive and well. It's Kate Spade. That's what happens when you're desperately writing your sermon at 1045, trying to get it finished up. Kate Spade. That proves my next point, that I didn't feel a personal connection to either of these people, uh, but a lot of people did. And, And when celebrities, when people that everyone knows well take their own lives, it really pushes suicide into the forefront of the consciousness of our society. And this has been highlighted in the fact that recent studies have shown that there's been an increase in suicide over the last 10 to 15 years, that the rates have increased Incrementary. And so I felt it was ironic if I was going to preach about truth-telling, but not address the truth about suicide. That it's something that we must address. When I finally decided that this is the way that the Spirit was calling me, the first thing I did was Google suicide sermons. <laughs> there should be a funny punchline there, but there's not. Every sermon I found about suicide was a funeral sermon. I didn't find any sermons but for one or two about preachers preaching about suicide before the fact. Before it's too late. And I bet most of us here have been impacted by suicide in one way or another 
We have a friend, a family member, a friend of a friend. We know somebody who has taken their own lives. I've been impacted on, on many different fronts. You know, I had friends who have committed, who have taken their lives. Uh, when I was a firefighter, I responded to calls of people who had taken their lives or tried to. I've officiated funerals for people who have taken their own lives. And, and although I've never spoken this in public, I don't know, even know if, if Heather knows this, but when I was in high school, I tried to take my own life. Suicide is far more common than we like to admit. And it's something we need to talk about. Because suicide is a disease. And if you could save one or two people from cancer, from heart disease, from diabetes, just by talking about it, you would by all means be doing it. If we could cure SMA just by having it in conversation or having a sermon or two on it, or if we could even spare one person from it, we would by all means talk about it till we were blue in the face. But we are afraid to talk about suicide. We're afraid to address the stigma attached to it. And we need to change the way that we talk about it when we do. I slipped up and said commit suicide earlier, and I don't like that phrase because it stigmatizes it. When we talk about committing things, we talk about crimes. They committed a crime. They committed treason. They committed this. They committed that. Often when we hear about someone committing suicide, we say if they had just reached out. If only Kate Spade had just reached out. If only Anthony Bourdain had just reached out. And when we say that, we, we wash away the pain and the hurt and the isolation that often goes along with the depression that leads to suicide. So often depression leaves us at a place that's too deep to reach out. That'd be like seeing somebody drowning in the ocean and throwing a life preserver 10 feet away from them and saying, just swim to the life preserver. They're already in too deep. They're already helpless. They can't just reach out. The other thing people say is when they see someone who's fighting depression, dealing with the demons of depression, they say, just cheer up. As if it's that easy. Oh, I didn't think about that. Show me some pictures of puppies and I'll be fine. Just cheer up. There's two types of depression. There's the depression that we all go through with a, a little d. We get depressed when the Titans aren't going to make the playoffs again. We get depressed when uh, friends come into town and we aren't able to get together. We get depressed when we miss that event we really want to go to. And then we bounce back. And then there's depression with a capital D. And this is the all-encompassing disease that so many people battle. It's been estimated that one in five Americans fight depression at some point in their life. And it's a darkness that absorbs you, that swallows you whole, that you feel like you cannot fight out from. It's a demon that takes over your life. And it's not something you could just snap out of. It's not something that eating your favorite meal or watching your favorite movie can cure. 
It's not something that you could just cheer up. It's something that needs to be treated by a professional. Someone who has experience in this matter. Brain scans have shown that people that that battle depression, their brains have different chemicals going on. The brain scans look different from people that aren't battling it. It is truly a disease. But what is the Christian perspective on suicide? What do we do with all of this? The Bible is actually very quiet about suicide. It's, it's mentioned when Judas takes his own life. So instead, I went to Jesus. And I looked at his words and that he reminds us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies both. He teaches us to reach out and love. He teaches us that we're to show compassion to all because we never know what people are going through. We never know when someone might need a kind word, a loving embrace, to know that somebody is there. We don't know what anyone here is going through. We don't know what anyone we meet is going through. So we should follow Jesus' way and show them love. But we need to be careful. I remember four years ago, Robin Williams took his own life. And I was shocked. I loved Robin Williams. I remember being a little boy and having a pair of Mork from Ork suspenders that I'd wear. The, the rainbow ones with the moon and the, the, I think it was a cloud on one side. And so, yes, I've been wearing suspenders for a long time. Uh, but he was always so funny, so joyful, so full of life. Last fall, a student at Bowie High School took his own life. His family came down, went to his room, and found him uh, deceased on his bed. And I was part of the the Bowie High School mentors this past year, and, and the student I mentored and I spent several weeks talking about this. And everything said the same thing about this young man that they said about Robin Williams. How could this happen? They seemed so happy. Everybody loved them. And that's what it kept coming back to. Everybody loved them. How could they take their lives? But when we understand depression, when we understand suicidal thoughts as a failure to either love or be loved, we sabotage the opportunity to treat and cure this disease that so often happens on a chemical level. It's more than being loved or loving. It is a disease that affects our brains. And when we put it down to just love, when we say they they were so loved, I don't know how they did it, that maybe if we loved them more, we put guilt on ourselves where there need be. We carry a burden on ourselves and we put an unfair burden on them as well. Because the the unspoken word is only if they'd realized how much they were loved. And that's how I came to today's reading from 1 Corinthians. Honestly, I thought about I'd be preaching on this scripture in two weeks. I'm officiating a a wedding back in in, um, Illinois in a couple of weeks. And the the bride and groom had no idea what scripture they wanted, so I sent them four or five to choose from. And usually when couples have no idea what they want, this is the one they pick. 
Like, oh, well, love endures all things. This is great. Love is, is perfect. Love fixes everything. All you need is love. But that's not what this says. This passage doesn't say that love overcomes. This passage doesn't say that love is going to fix everything. This passage doesn't say if we had just loved them a little bit more, if they had just loved a few more people, if there had been more love in their lives, it would have all been okay. This passage doesn't say rah, rah, love. Paul isn't writing about the power of love. He's writing about the persistence of love. As for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. But love, love is unending. Faith, hope, and love abide these three. The greatest of these is love. That love is persistent. Love is powerful. Love finds a way. Even in our brokenness. Even when we are at our lowest point. Even though when things are so dark we can't see the path before us. Love will see a way. The light of love shines on us. But it's not going to fix everything. If it did, there would be no poverty. There would be no famine. There would be no wars. There would be no domestic violence. There would be no substance abuse. Love will not fix everything here on earth. But love does help us. And we can cling to the knowledge that the God who created the heavens and earth, the God who created everything we see and didn't see, the God who was there before the world was created and will be here far after the world has ended, loves us. For better or for worse, in sickness and health, in depression, even in suicide. God loves us. And that's what I want you to carry with you today. That God loves you and that God will always love you. And that we may not know what's going on in your life, but God does. God knows the demons you're battling. God knows what you are facing. God knows what you're going through. God knows the good you've done, the bad you've done. And God loves you. When I decided to change the passages today, the hymn we just sang that she came to Christ was written for a scripture passage about the Canaanite woman that I took out of the bulletin. And I debated, should I change it? Should I leave it in? And then I came across the line in the second verse. God's blessing, God's love is not bound by place. 
God's love is unfailing. And that's something we have to carry with us. That's something we have to feel deep inside. That has to be the light within our soul that helps us to go on when times are tough. When things are dark. And hopefully that light is enough that when we start to battle depression, when we start to have those dark thoughts of possibly taking our own lives, that we seek help. That we seek professional help. That we talk to somebody, anyone. And hopefully that light shining in us helps us that if we see someone going through a difficult time or suspect that someone might be, that we reach out to them. But still, Kate Spade, Robin Williams, Anthony Bourdain, they were at the top of their game. They seemed to have it all. I can't count how many shows Anthony Bourdain is, was currently on. But it seems like you can't change the channel without seeing him on uh, you know, CNN, on the Cooking Network, on Nature Network, on you know, probably Home and Garden TVs, on anything. He was everywhere. So we need to check on those who seem strong as well. A friend, a dear friend shared on Facebook that said, check on the people who seem the strongest. And I realized no one checked on me, so I wondered what that says about me. But we don't know what people are going through. And we need to remember that God loves each of us, and we are called to love with that same love. And we are called to reach out to all weak and strong. Reach out in compassion when they lose someone. Reach out in strength to be there for each other. Because God loves us and we're called to love another. In 1 John, it says, You have not all seen God, but you have seen love. And by seeing love, you've witnessed God. Amen.